The Right Stuff with Kevin and Casey. Episode 4, Tradition or the Telephone Game? Tradition, tradition. <laughs> right here that, we go. Thank you, thank Let's you. Talk about some tradition. That's what we're going to talk about tonight. Tradition, right? Um, what does that mean? Um, we'll kind of explain this when we get into it a little bit. But you know, in the Catholic Church, there's something that we call tradition, sacred tradition, that would be a capital T. Unlike tradition, with a small t, that's something that could be changeable, right? Mm-hmm. Like you had family traditions, right? Of course I had family Okay, traditions. okay, yeah, yeah. Like you always say spawn and boem at the end of the... I do, right? that's our family tradition. See, there it, it means is. go with God. Right, there's there's one right there, just like that. So, um, but in the Catholic Church, tradition with a capital T means it's something that has been around since the inception of the church, and it won't ever change. It's unchanging. And we'll totally get into that, but... Uh, Casey and I are having a good cocktail here. We are. We are. This We're, is so fun. The life blood warmer. The life blood warmer. And um, it comes to us because uh, we're actually celebrating the feast day of St. Genarius, or San Janeiro, if you're Italian, right? Okay. Or just January with January us. January with us, right? <laughs> January us. January us. Right? Um, and he was a 4th century bishop and martyr. And uh, a lot is known about him. Like, he was a really famous guy. And according to Roman martyrology, after he was beheaded... Martyology? Martyology. We went through that in an earlier... Martyrology. Um, He was brought to Naples, and there he was honorably interred in a church. It's the cathedral in Naples, and it's actually named after him. The church is named San Gennaro, and I have actually been there, and it's a really beautiful place to visit. Okay. Um, it's, it's gorgeous. When are we going? Uh, whenever you want to, because, you know, you go visit <laughs> you go visit San Gennaro, and then you leave the church, and, like, right down the block is one of the best pizza places I've ever eaten in my entire oh. life. Yeah, amazing. And Naples is the, is the place for pizza. So, um, Good to know. Basically, one of the most interesting things about San Gennaro, or St. Gennarius... Um, is there are some blood samples of him that are kept in the cathedral of San Gennaro in Naples. And three times a year, his dried blood actually liquefies. It comes back to life in the vials what? that it's kept in. No. Truthfully, truthfully, it's the craziest thing you've ever seen. Um, when Pope Francis was uh, elected to be the Pope, he visited Naples. And in the presence of Pope Francis, the blood... <laughs> like reliquified. What? Yeah. He was happy to see him, I think. So it was a good thing. Wow. Yeah. Wowsy so, wowsy woo woo. Yeah. He also um he basically saved Naples from the eruption of Mount Vesuvius. And we know that Mount Vesuvius like completely devastated Pompeii and Herculaneum and all the cities around uh that completely destroyed them and they were buried for, you know, basically two millennia until they were uncovered and we discovered all of that. But he is a really interesting saint, San Gennaro. He's a really cool guy. Sounds like it. Um, and so because of his blood liquefying, the cocktail that's that's generated to him is called mm-hmm. a life blood warmer, which yeah. I think is really cool. And, you know, we talk about this Michael Foley book, Drinking with the Saints. Casey and I both have a, a copy of this thing, right? We do. We do. And the funniest thing is, as we were reading through here in my copy and her copy, 
we realized they they're look, different. They're different. <laughs> what? It's crazy. I think mine's better. I don't know. I don't but know. Mine looks more up to date. Uh, right? You're probably right. But I thought this was really cool, though. So going with what you were saying about his blood liquefies, mm-hmm. um, to commemorate that memorable phenomenon, that's why they have the life blood warmer. Yeah. But this cocktail is actually really ancient, and it's really rare that one of its ingredients, which is what we found was different between our two books. Right, right. Um, it was listed in 1937 in a book called the Cafe Royale Cocktail Book. And it was just marked with one of the ingredients as LBW. LBW. So in my book, it shows that it's a half ounce of Lillet Blanc wine. Yeah, and if you've ever had that, it's a French aperitif. <clears throat> and it it uh, it's a white wine that is fortified. And so it kind of has this warm, lemony flavor. Interesting. Okay? Yeah. Because in my book, it says, so this LBW, that's all it was marked with, it was a mystery until recently... But apparently, which this book is hilarious. I love this book. It says, our crack drinking with the Saints team, mustering what brain cells it has left, has deduced the acronym stands for Lillet Blanc Wine and has verified this conclusion in multiple taste tests, ironically destroying the remaining brain cells that facilitated the (laughs) insight to begin with. But then they found out that that was actually not even what the ingredient was. It wasn't. Because my book, which is probably a slightly newer published book... Good for you. We're proud of you. Hey, we are proud of me. (laughs) Says... I'm just uh, some friendly bands. It says, originally we thought the initial stood for Lillet Blanc wine, but cocktail historian Philip Green has informed us that LBW is lemon barley water. Isn't that I, interesting? Yeah, what is that? Lemon barley. Basically, you boil barley and it creates a like a creamy, um, starchy liquid that they add lemon juice and lemon rind and sugar, and it becomes this really cool thing that's a concentrate that you add water and you can drink it. And it's actually good for you to your digestion. Like it helps with I kind of want you to make yours and I'll make mine okay. and then we can compare. We can compare. That'd be good. That'd be good. <laughs> but yours, yours is going to be clearer because mine's going to contain barley water and it's cloudy. Oh. Yeah, absolutely. So um, uh, basically barley water is like a lemonade like refreshment and it's still really like orange barley water and lemon barley water are really popular in Great Britain. Like in the UK you can get it all the time and, and you make it from a concentrate and like you make a picture of it and you drink it with dinner or you drink it as a refreshing thing in the summer outside. So, um, so as this book even says, dearly beloved for the first time in almost 80 years, the life blood warmer, the life blood warmer. So, um, Casey's going to read you her ingredients and I'm going to read you mine. So my ingredients are a half ounce Lillet Blanc wine, a half ounce orange juice one and a fourth ounce of gin, and a half ounce of Cointreau. Okay, and mine is really similar. One and a quarter ounces of gin, half ounce of Cointreau, half ounce of orange juice, and a half ounce of lemon barley water, okay? So whichever one you choose to make, it doesn't matter. Mm, um, I think mine's going to be fine. <laughs> <laughs> but you're going to put it in a cocktail shaker I with mean, ice, right? And you're going to shake it how many times, Casey? 40. 40. 40 There's times. That number, magic right? number. And they're going to strain it into a cocktail glass. And I would probably put a little twist of lemon or a little twist of orange on it as my garnish. Oh, that sounds pretty. Life blood warmer. But could the 40, shake 40 times just mean a lot? A lot, right? Because <laughs> as we, we learned in we, last right, episode, we we're that. not really sure if it was actually right, 40 right. days. 
That's so, me on a tangent. Yeah. Speaking of tangents, what do you call an angel that seats you at a restaurant? Uh, hostess. <laughs> Heavenly host. <laughs> I, I love that. Oh. I love these stupid jokes. They make me laugh. <laughs> They're great. They're great. Watch your code, stupid, stupid. Right? Okay. So we're going to like have a chance to pause the podcast here, and you can go to our YouTube channel and actually make the cocktail with us. Linktree slash the right stuff. L-A-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash the right stuff. You'll find our YouTube channel. Make the cocktail. We'll pause, and we'll come back, and we will talk about tradition. And the lifeblood wormer. That's right. Episode 4. Tradition or the telephone game? Tradition. Tradition. What does that mean? (laughs) (laughs) All that comes to my brain is like Christmas morning or Thanksgiving or traditions with family. Yeah, things that you do that are traditional, right? We we tend to think of things that we, we use or we do as traditions. And the church... And usually with family, Yeah, yeah. It's usually a family thing. Um, Which, your church is your family. (gasps) We're all part of the body of Christ. We're all family. So um, when we think about that tradition that belongs in the church, with a capital T, right? We didn't cheers. Oh my gosh. Wait, wait. Here's the lifeblood warmer. The lifeblood warmer. Oh, that's not That wasn't as good as the last time. Oh, there. Okay, that's better. Okay, the martini glasses kind of... Kind of had a better better ring to them than the coupe glasses. I um, sure do. So the church, when it talks about tradition with a capital T, is basically things that have been around since the dawn of the church, since right. it began. Okay, Things that Jesus left us, things that the apostles taught us, are tradition of the church. Okay, And we kind of talked in our last podcast about sacred scripture and where it came from and the fact that Scripture might not be the be-all and end-all of everything that there is. Where did it come from? Jewish tradition. Tradition, right. Jesus was a really good Jew. And he left us, in that Jewish vein, tradition. Like, the things that we know about our faith come from our tradition. And tradition actually gave us Scripture. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's a big concept to think about. That is a really big concept. Tradition gave us scripture. So if we think about scripture, nothing in tradition will ever contradict scripture. And nothing in scripture should ever contradict tradition. They walk Mm. hand in hand. Mm -hmm. They're they're like two lungs, two parts to our Mm -hmm. faith that basically walk hand in hand. Okay. So um, what what does that mean? What does that mean for us? Okay. Do Catholics look at that scripture as the sole rule of faith? We established that last time as a big fat no. Like, no. Tradition has a big hand in how we interpret scripture. Mm -hmm. We weigh it against 2,000 years of history and what was actually in the church at her inception, right? Um, we, we, uh, We see some really cool things that in scripture obviously are black and white and easy to read and easy to digest and easy to say we can point to these. Tradition's not that way. It's nebulous. It's kind of out there. Mm-hmm. And we have to look at that from a completely different perspective. So 
most non-Catholics have as their sole rule of faith the written word of God, which is sacred scripture, which we find in the Bible. But the Catholic Church has as its sole rule of faith the entire word of God. We hold the fullness of the truth as found in sacred scripture and sacred tradition. They walk hand in hand. They're two mm-hmm. parts. They're two lungs that walk hand in hand, right? Um, at one time, basically the word of God was passed on orally. Like people spoke it. They couldn't read. They couldn't write. They were illiterate. And they basically spoke and people listened. They preached, right? Uh, Which again, this goes back to the, <clears throat> the game of telephone. Right. So... Which I loved that game as a kid. Oh my gosh. I used, I, like, I really did though, because I thought it was so right. fun how, like, messy it gets right. once you, like, start with whatever you said. And by the end of it, it's like monkey standing on a. On a corner. On a, on a corner. Monkey standing on a monkey corner. Monkey standing on a corner when right. you really just said, hi, how are you? Or something. You right, know? right. So it, it, I, I understand why some people say, well, isn't it just like a game of telephone? How do we know that it was actually true? We know it was true. We know it was true, and we know it's been preserved and protected because of sacred tradition. Like, that seems to, like, negate itself because you're using something to prove itself. But because tradition gave us those scriptures, in Matthew 16, Jesus promises us that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Mm -hmm. It's never going to fall into error. And this is a really difficult thing to hear But if you don't believe the fact that the gates of hell wouldn't prevail against the church, there are plenty of non-Catholic factions of Christianity that basically say, hey, the Catholic church is wrong, or the church fell into apostasy and didn't function, and this particular faction of Christianity rejuvenated the Christian faith. You're looking at Jesus Christ in Matthew 16, and you're saying, hey, you lie. (laughs) <laughs> I don't want to be responsible for saying, hey, you lied to Jesus Christ when I meet him. <clears throat> no. You know what I'm saying? No. So that, that's, a, that's a big ordeal. Um, we have to look at what Jesus says verbatim in black and white as a part of the tradition that gave us that thing. Does that make mm-hmm. sense to you, Case? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Totally cool. Um, eventually, some of the sacred tradition was written down. People decided to actually... Uh, preserve some of the words that they heard and write them down and they became sacred scripture, which is written tradition, right? But sacred scripture tells us that not all the things that Jesus said and did were written down, right? Mm -hmm. Paul tells us in 2 Thessalonians 2.15, so then brethren, stand firm and hold to the traditions which you were taught by us, either by word or by mouth, Right? Or by letter. Right. Yeah. Letter or mouth. Mm -hmm. Yeah, word. So whatever was written or what we have talked to you about, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. When we talk about that oral tradition, the words, that is oral tradition. The traditions taught to us by that letter. Okay. Traditions which they were being told to stand firm and hold to. Sacred scripture and sacred tradition together. Right? Okay. Um, You know, we, we... we hear a lot of things like uh, the Bible basically supports all the Catholic teachings of the word of God. And it's contained in both sacred, sacred scripture and sacred tradition. Like we see both of those things that we have an understanding of how the Catholic faith 
was formulated historically. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, it's not until later on, 1500 years later, 75% of Christendom later that things start to get changed and they look different because we have the reformation and the counter reformation and all the things that, that start branching off from what was one faith at the time, the Catholic church. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, what does the Catholic church mean by tradition? Okay. That term doesn't refer to legends or mythological accounts. Like, it's not or like... customs. Right. It's not customs. Like, tell me a custom. What does your family do? Tell me something your family does. Like, as far as... A tradition. A tradition? Yeah. Um, well, like, I mean, Christmas. Yeah. Right? We yeah. always celebrated when we were kids. I mean, it's obviously changed since we've gotten older. But when we were kids, we would always do, traditionally, we would do Christmas morning. Right. Um, but you know, we had our little traditions here and there within that, but we would always do it Christmas morning. Whereas a lot of other families that I know, they would always do it Christmas Eve where they would do their presents and everything. So that's one tradition. Um, I always did Christmas Eve with my greater family, like my, my aunts Mm -hmm. and uncles and cousins and everything. And then on Christmas morning, it was like personal with my family. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, that's a cool thing. And then like I, I dated a gal that her family came from German descent and they always celebrated the, the feast of St. Nicholas on December the 6th. Mm-hmm. So at night put your on the 5th, they would put their shoes out. Yeah, right? we would do that too. And they would always get like oranges and, and, uh, peppermint sticks and new coins mm-hmm. and really cool things mm-hmm. in their shoes, you know? So those are really cool traditions that right. happen with your family. Um, when we talk about traditions in the Catholic Church, there are things that are unchanging historically for us. So, with a capital T. With a capital T. Things like, um, <clears throat> you know, currently a lot of our non-Catholic brothers and sisters believe that potentially communion for them is symbolic. Jesus told us to do this thing, so they, they consume bread and wine, and it's it's very symbolic. It, it represents what Jesus told us to do, Right. Whereas in Catholic tradition with a capital T, when the priest blesses and consecrates the bread and wine, it is the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. That Mm -hmm. is an unchanging tradition, a teaching of the church that will never change. It's not just symbolic to us. It is Christ himself. Mm -hmm. That's a tradition with a capital capital T, T, right? Mm -hmm. As opposed to that, okay? Um, and I'll go back to that thing that's really interesting when we read, you know, Matthew 16 and it's, it's, it comes out to us as, as, oh, Hey, what's happening there as divine revelation. Um, Jesus said that the gates of hell would not prevail against his church, right? He said, I've told you this. And while I am with you, the advocate, the Holy spirit, whom the father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I told you. There's this divine revelation, this deposit of faith that we tend to have. Um, he's going to leave us with an advocate that promises to us the church won't change. The teasing, teachings won't change. Nothing's mm-hmm. ever going to change. That is tradition with a capital T. Does that make sense? It does. Okay. And it says in the catechism, actually, um, that the basic meaning of Catholic tradition, it is the true faith itself. <laughs> wow. Wow, Kevin, I have something to say. <laughs> just trying to drink just... <laughs> some water. Um, but it does say in the catechism, this the and it's the most basic meaning of Catholic tradition. It is the true faith itself given to the apostles by Christ 
and faithfully transmitted to each new generation. Beautiful. Mm -hmm. Beautifully said. There's Mm -hmm. nothing that could be said any better than that, really. Yep. And if you're not familiar with the Catechism of the Catholic Church, oftentimes you'll see something referred to as CCC, Catechism of the Catholic Church. Right. It will tell you all of the teachings of Catholicism. Mm -hmm. Like if you're curious about something, you can cross-reference and you can say, like you can search tradition and it'll tell you what that means and how we teach it and what it actually means to us, right? Okay. Um, One of the things that's really important to us, um, the Catholic Church stands on three legs. Which we talked about in the the last podcast. Um, Sacred tradition sacred scripture and the magisterium. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like if you think about the fact that like, um, if, if you're a science person, right, you're on a pogo stick, it's really hard <laughs> to stand up for a long time on a pogo stick. It's got one point of contact, right? Yeah. Okay. You got to keep jumping though. If you're on a ladder, it has two points of contact, right? Those two feet sit on the floor, but what also happens is that you have to lean it against something. That's a third point of contact. Mm-hmm. To make it balance. Okay. I mean, you could be on a ladder and kind of waver back and forth if you don't like. Yeah, my a... ladder has four legs. <laughs> oh, <laughs> bada big. You're special. Uh, sure am. But but here's the other thing: like a stool, a stool has three legs. Mm-hmm. Okay, and it's perfectly situated to any situation to balance itself. If you're on a hillside, you can still balance a stool. Mm-hmm. Those three legs will fit in any place and make sure that the stool stays balanced. Right. Sacred scripture, sacred tradition, and the magisterium. Three legs of that stool. And they keep us balanced as Christians. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, historically for us, since the 1500s, a lot of our our non-Catholic brothers and sisters have, like, eliminated some of those things from their faith life, right? And so we start to see kind of, like, these loopholes that occur and... Tradition for us fills in those loopholes, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, and it seems like a lot of non-Catholics seem to believe that Catholics look to tradition instead of Scripture. Correct. And that's not necessarily how it is. No, not at all. <clears throat> so what what actually is sacred tradition? Um, all Catholics believe that the Bible is the Word of God. That's not even a, a concept that we would balk at in any way, shape, or form, right? We believe that the Bible is yeah. a gift granted by God to the church to be treasured, and to be used. And the answers to the most basic questions in life can often be found in the Bible, right? Mm -hmm. But there are a lot of questions that aren't answered in the Bible, right? Catholics believe the answers to these questions can often be found in sacred tradition of the church. Which goes to say that the tradition and scripture go hand in hand. Hand in hand, right? They complement each other to complete our faith. God reveals truth through tradition as well as through scripture. Mm -hmm. I often bring this up in our CIA. Like there's nothing in scripture that tells us as Catholics how we worship. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. We read in outside things like the, the, um, accounts of Justin Martyr in his apology to the emperor of Rome. He was martyred. He was beheaded. Uh, but while he was in jail, he tried to explain to the emperor what we believed as Christians, right? And so um, he would tell him the things that we did that look very much like the worship that we do as Catholics today. Mm-hmm. And that was in 150 AD. We're talking like 120 wow. years after Christ. Right. So um, 
if if we look at that viewpoint, if we look at that particular perspective, um, it lets us know because we established in the last episode that the Bible didn't show up till three eighty two A.D. That tradition allowed us to worship. That was mm-hmm. how we worshipped, right? Okay. Yeah. There's there's that beautiful thing. Okay, Jesus Christ handed us everything that we needed to know to his apostles. And the apostles left it all with us. Mm-hmm. Okay, There was some foresight from some people to actually write things down and compile them into something that today we know as the Bible. Go back to episode three. You'll hear all that <laughs> stuff that we talked about <laughs> earlier, right? Don't need to rehash all Right. That. No, we don't. But, but tradition <clears throat> gave us the Bible. Everything that we know was passed down from Jesus through the apostles. Mm-hmm. And somebody had the foresight to actually write it down. Mm-hmm. And put it into sacred, like a, a book that became sacred scripture. It initially wasn't, right? Okay. Yeah. So let's think about like the Bible as the church's book. Like um, one of the things that's really interesting that even up until Vatican II, and if you're not familiar with that, Google Vatican II, and it will tell you that it was a it was a bishops' conference that convened in Rome. From 1962 to 1965, prior to 1962, I apologize, to 1965, the Mass was the extraordinary form. It was said in Latin. No matter where you were on the globe, it was said in Latin, right? Mm -hmm. And oftentimes people didn't understand it because it wasn't in their vernacular. Vatican II opened up the liturgy so that people could worship like the apostles did. Mm -hmm. It put it in their vernacular language so they actually understood it. It also allowed lay people, Joe Schmo and Jane Schmo from the congregation, to come forward and be able to read scripture. That was only a, a, a clerical thing. The deacons and the priests did that. They were able to actually help distribute communion mm-hmm. amongst the people and not just the, the priest and the deacons, right? So we see this beautiful stuff that happens, but... Oftentimes, prior to that point, even um, Catholics thought that the Bible was more of a Protestant book, a non-Catholic mm-hmm. book, because they had that as their sole rule of faith, and we didn't use it. Do you know, if you're a daily churchgoer, in three years, you will hear about 96% of the Bible? Yeah. If you only go on Sundays, you'll always hear all four Gospels in three years. Mm-hmm. Pretty amazing, mm-hmm. right? So at my age, I've heard the entire Bible like 17 times. Well, and <clears throat> we are one of the only faiths that has... Mo- that we have a lot of scripture in our... Um, Liturgy. Yeah. Yeah. Right. The entire Mass is based off of scripture. Mm-hmm. If you don't believe that, um, sooner or later, our website's going to have a lot of really cool links that you can go to mm-hmm. from some of these things that we talk about. And I've got this really cool uh, PDF of like the liturgy and the scripture that it, it follows from the beginning to the end. It's, mm-hmm. it's basically completely scriptural, right? Which, yeah, and I think if we... If we if we use the Bible alone instead of tradition, right, going hand in hand with Scripture, we're going to miss a whole oh my lot gosh. of stuff. Absolutely, right? case. I mean, absolutely. Which brings up a really cool thing because my next thing that I was going to mention is um, if you read Acts eight twenty six through forty, there's this beautiful account of Philip 
and an Ethiopian, right? And the Ethiopian is reading a passage from the book of Isaiah, and Philip asks him if he understands what he's reading. Mm -hmm. And the Ethiopian says, how can I unless I have someone to guide me, Mm. right? Right. So he's reading the word, but he doesn't understand it. Somebody has to explain it to him. Yep. Right? And so the Ethiopian humbly asks Philip to be his guide and helped by the Holy Spirit. Philip is able to break open the word and the meaning of God's word for the Ethiopian so he can easily understand and appreciate scripture. We still do that today during the liturgy. We hear all these beautiful passages every Sunday that we established in the last episode. The entire Catholic world hears the same thing on the same day. Mm Mm-hmm. When you're in a church, whether it's a beast, a, a beast, <laughs> my gosh, well, tongue-tied, that's a bad thing to what say. What church are you going to? Whether you're there with a bishop, with a, a priest, beast? or a deacon who is delivering the homily, um, it might sound different in your church than my church. It might sound different in South Africa than it does in Canada, mm-hmm. but the scripture readings are the same and the message is the same. They might The words used to deliver the message might be different but the lesson is always the same, Mm -hmm. right? Okay. And, I mean, we talked about this not that long ago, but um, in college, I had a friend, and she was wonderful, and I always aspired to be like her because she would always go, she would make sure that she went to church every single Sunday. Right. And I saw her not that long ago, um, but we were talking about it, and it was it it dawned on me when she made a comment about she was so far away from home and I was pretty close to home but you know I was in college so I was the heathen and I was right. like no I'm not going to go to church right, I don't right. have to go to of church I'm, no one's going to make me go to church right um, but she made a comment to me about how she would go to church every Sunday because that was her safe space that was her home hmm. because mm-hmm. that was the one thing that she had away from home that was constant and the same. That's beautiful. Isn't that really cool? Yeah. And it didn't dawn on me at that time, but that's what she needed. She needed something to be like home that yeah. reminded her of home and that was her safe space. Yeah. In her faith tradition. Right. Her tradition. Right. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. So the first Christians actually devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, right? Uh, Like Jesus left all this information to the apostles, and they taught us. So they, in Acts 2, uh, 42, long before there was a New Testament, from the beginning the fullness of the Christian teaching was found in the church and the living embodiment of Jesus Christ, not in a book. Like it was stuff that was left to them that they talked about and taught, right? So um, the teaching church with its oral apostolic tradition was authoritative. That's what people believed. Mm -hmm. There are some instances of sacred tradition in the Bible that are really interesting. For for, uh, instance, in Acts 20.35, Paul says the following, In all things I have shown you that by so toiling one must help the weak, remembering that the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, how he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Those words aren't recorded anywhere else in the Bible, Mm -hmm. right? Including the four Gospels. So this is one example. There's this teaching of Jesus that happened that was passed down to them orally that's not recorded anywhere else. Like, does that mean it's not important because it wasn't in the Gospels? No. It was probably talked about, and it wasn't written by Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, or the folks who recorded those things in those Gospels. It came later, and we heard that this was a teaching that Jesus said 
somewhere in one of those epistles, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's not recorded in the Gospels, it must have passed, been passed down to Paul. Like, he heard it from somewhere. Sure. Somebody taught him this thing by oral transmission. And even the Gospels themselves are oral tra- tradition, which has been written down. Luke 1, 1 through 4 tells us that thing. What's more, Paul doesn't only quote Jesus only. He also quotes from other early Christians... Um, and their hymns, such as Ephesians 5.14, these and other things have been given to Christians through the Lord Jesus. We see that in 1 Thessalonians 4.2. So Paul, Paul talks a lot about tradition. You know, there are plenty of letters he, that he writes that says, you know, remember what I taught you, either by word or by tradition. Mm-hmm. You know, like word or what I taught you, what I told you to do. That's equally as important. It holds 100% equal weight in that that understanding. And I saw this quote um, <clears throat> that someone mentioned that thinking of tradition as being the active and continuous work of the Holy Spirit in our particular time. Mm-hmm. So it's a way that it makes real mm-hmm. and tangible the active presence of Jesus, mm-hmm. which is wonderful. Oh my gosh, are you kidding? I know. It's the I most mean, beautiful we get thing to, ever. We get to see Jesus every Sunday. We what? get to be with him and in, in his presence 100%. every Sunday because of tradition. Right. Right. Right? I mean, right. The, yeah, we have the last supper in the Bible and stuff, but because of tradition, we actually get to it's tangible to us. It's tangible. Right. It is the real presence of Christ mm-hmm. himself. Yeah. So, um there's this really interesting thing, like, you know, we, we sometimes we think that, like, our non-Catholic brothers and sisters, like, when they preach the word, okay, they're literal, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, literal doesn't always mean what we think it means. Literal means what the author intended, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so literal, we kind of talked about this last time, 40 days, 40 nights. Does it really mean 40 days, 40 nights? What did the author intend? No. I mean, it could, but... He meant a long time. More than likely, yes. So if you are someone who believes in that literal meaning, you want to know what the author said to you, Mm -hmm. right? If you're a literalist, a literalist, which is a lot of what our evangelical and fundamentalist brothers and sisters are... Mm -hmm. 40 days and 40 nights, bam, at midnight on Tuesday, we're going to count down for 40 days and we're going to stop it 40 days later <laughs> Ready, at midnight and go, go right? <laughs> so that understanding is literalist, right? We can't look at that as a literal meaning. Catholics actually look at the literal meaning. Mm-hmm. What does it mean? What does the author intend? What is the, what is the kernel of truth that we're going to extract from a piece of scripture that was given to us by tradition. And we interpret how we read that scripture by a tradition. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Like that's a, it's a really big thing. You know, um, the Catholic church interprets the Bible in a very literal sense. While many of our fundamentalist evangelical brothers and sisters interpret the Bible in a literalist sense, literal meaning the passage, 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 gosh, that's a hard word passage of scripture is the meaning simply that the author always intends. There's no interpretation from it. Mm -mm. We take what the author says and bring it to light. And live it. Through tradition. Through tradition and the Holy Spirit. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, 
you'll often hear people say tradition is something that's handed down from the apostles. Tradition actually comes from the Latin root word tradere, T-R-A-D-E-R-E, tradere, which means to be handed over, not handed down, right? right. So you think, um, like, I don't know if you've, this ever happened to you, because I know you have brothers and not sisters, but, um, like, did you ever get a pair of jeans from, like, an older sibling that you wore? Of course, are you okay. kidding? <laughs> okay. I mean, so, I grew up in the 90s. Right, we liked right. the Jinko jeans yes. that every one size fits all. <laughs> 100%. So, okay, so your brother gave you a pair of jeans, and they had been worn, and they had probably been slightly worn out. They weren't, mm-hmm. when you received them, they weren't in the same condition mm-hmm. that he got them. Right. Right? Okay. The difference in that is when the apostles hand over, which is what tradere actually means, to mm-hmm. hand over, they're giving you something in the same condition that it was in that they received. Isn't that cool? That is pretty cool. That means unchanging, doesn't it? Yeah. So your jeans would look just as sparkly. Brand your Jenkos would be just as sparkly brand oh, new. They would have all the glitter and glitz and glamour on them. Right? Ooh. So that, that word actually helps us understand nothing will ever change. Mm-hmm. Tradition comes from tradere, which means to hand over, not to hand down. Mm-hmm. Hand down is the telephone game. Hand over mm-hmm. is tradition. Isn't that cool? That's so smart. I mean, it's really cool. Like, I think that's a really cool thing. Okay. Um, that's kind of mind-blowing, actually, now that you say it that way. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a really cool thing. So... What is the role of the church? Um, <laughs> are you asking That's for a, a big friend? Loaded, or no, like... <laughs> right, asking for a friend. What's the role of the church? That's a big loaded question. You okay, mean, like, can you give me a second? No, I no, I understand. <laughs> Paul Paul basically says to us, you know, um, one of the things that we know about the role of the church is as he he talks to Titus and and Titus lets us know that the pillar and bulwark. Of faith is what? The, the church, church, right? It's not scripture. No. It wasn't even written down at that point in time. Mm-mm. The pillar and bulwark of faith is the church. And the, the church is living. The church is living, right? It's living. The word of God is also living. But why is it living? Because it comes to us from the church through tradition to the written word of God. Isn't that cool? That is pretty cool. It's all living, but there's an order to it. Christ left us a church that his apostles led us into and taught us. They left us with tradition, and tradition left us with that written word of God that we call sacred scripture. And through the Catholic tradition, the Holy Spirit works to bring the grace and the truth of Christ into our own lives. God, that's so beautiful. Isn't it? It's so beautiful to me, right? I can't even begin to think about it. Um, We can't leave this discussion without talking about the magisterium. That's a big deal, right? So what is it? It's actually um, the Holy Spirit enables the bishops in union with the Pope to recognize God's revelation. The magisterium is a living source of discernment for the church family. And when it comes to the protection and interpretation of divine revelation in the life of the church, the role of the magisterium, the bishops teaching in union with the Pope, is that of a watchdog of orthodoxy, true belief, right? Mm -hmm. Down through the ages, great theological battles have been taken place concerning the church's beliefs and practices, and sooner or later, it's the role of the magisterium to step in and proclaim what 
theological opinions, pastoral practices, devotions, or faithful or unfaithful to sacred tradition. Like they get to interpret that. Mm-hmm. They get to help us and tell us what is right and what is wrong. And you know what's really beautiful? I don't have to do it. Isn't that great? There's I don't so have many to other think things in my it, life right? that I have to actually like There's think a, through and right, like right. And you know, about... one of the things that is the hardest thing for us to understand is the fact that our our non-Catholic brothers and sisters, they read scripture. It's upon them mm-hmm. to interpret and understand what it means, which means that every single one of them is a pope. Oh. Right? They get to determine. We don't have to do that. Thank goodness. Right? Isn't that beautiful? Mm-hmm. So hopefully this kind of helps you with a little bit of what tradition means to Catholics. It's not the telephone game. No. It means it's been handed over in the exact same condition. So if you're passing the information around the circle and it comes back to me and we come across with this crazy thing and it's different from what you originally said, that is not tradition. Tradition means it's handed over. It comes back to me in the exact same condition Mm -hmm. that you left it. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to tell you exactly what you said the right way. Lovely. Okay, Case, how about a couple of questions from our... Questions! Right, questions. Because inquiring minds want to know, right? Yeah, they do. Um, What's the relationship between sacred scripture and sacred tradition? Oh, that's a good question. That is a good question. Yeah. I love it. So sacred scripture is something tangible, right? Right. right. Um, It's contained and inspired in sacred books. So like the Bible. Right. We can read it. Right. Right. Exactly. Um, And sacred tradition is the living reality. It's what we're doing at mass. It's what we... um, so, for instance, um, the Eucharist, the Eucharist um, church, right? any of the sacraments that we do, those are all sacred traditions. Yeah, absolutely. Jesus left them to his apostles. Mm-hmm. They left them to us. Mm-hmm. Perfect. I love it. Here's another question. What's an example of a living tradition that's never going to change? Okay, cool. That's great. One of my favorite things that that I could ever explain is the fact that like for us as Catholics up, up until the 1500s, every person who was a Christian believed that when they received Holy communion, it was the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. Right? So there was this reformation. The Catholics came back with a counter reformation that affirmed the fact that that's exactly what we believed. When a priest blessed and consecrated bread and wine, it became the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. A lot of our non-Catholic brothers and sisters believe it's a symbol. It's not symbolic to Catholics. Since the church's inception, when Jesus said, this is my body, take it and eat. This is my blood, which will be shed for many. Okay. When we look at that wording, um, We'll get into this a lot when we talk about the Eucharist and Mm -hmm. and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. But he was very specific about saying it was him. It wasn't symbolic. It was him. And there's a lot of reasons that we believe it's him. So for 2,000 years, Catholics have believed when the Eucharist is confected, when that bread and wine, simple gifts that that will transubstantiate, become a new substance... They actually become the body, blood, 
soul and divinity of Jesus Christ. That is something that we believe that is tradition that will never, ever change. Mm -hmm. Cool. Final question. Okay. On tradition. Tradition. Should Catholic tradition have equal or greater authority than the Bible? Oh my gosh, equal, right? Of course. Of course. Of course equal. Yeah. But why? Why? Simply because if we go back to what we talked even in the last episode, Scripture wasn't canonized until 382 AD, literally 349 years after Jesus Christ ascended to heaven, right? So... How are we having church? How did we do what we do? How do we know what we know scripturally um, if there wasn't scripture? Tradition. Tradition, right? We were taught by word Mm -hmm. of mouth, Mm -hmm. right? We were completely taught by word of mouth. So they will always be equal. But not only will those two things be equal, they'll be equal with the magisterium, who is the teaching body who gets to interpret that and weigh word Against reality for our time. Wayward or way? Way, W-E-I-G-H. The word. Way, the word. Okay. Against reality in our time, right? I mean, think about 100 years ago, we didn't have things like IVF and lots of birth control and things that we have to interpret now that didn't even exist. That's a good topic, by the way. Hey, we're going to get there. That's a really good topic. We're going to get there, right? So, y'all, if you have questions, feel free to go to our website, therightstuff.net. Write us, contact us, let us know what your questions are. That's how we like answer these things that you're And the tough hearing. questions. Yeah, the tough I love questions. The, I love the tough questions. Absolutely, get to the tough questions. You can follow all of our socials. Uh, we're everywhere. If you follow us at linktree slash the right stuff, L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash the right stuff, and you'll find us everywhere. So we hope that you'll kind of hang out with us and learn with us and talk with us and maybe even teach us some things, which is really cool. I love learning. Absolutely. Spot and Bohem. Next time. The Right Stuff with Kevin and Casey.